Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 80 of the Summit for Wellness podcast. We've been getting a lot of questions when it comes to sauna therapy and red light therapy, and if there is actually a difference between the two. There is a difference between the two, but there are also ways to get both of those in one treatment session. And that's what we will be talking a lot about today is how utilizing incandescent red light bulbs gives you not only the red light therapy, but it also provides a sauna therapy or a heat therapy as well. And then we'll also dive into the different health benefits for using those different therapies. So this episode is brought to you by Sauna Space. Sauna Space provides incandescent sauna products that utilize full-spectrum near-infrared light and heat therapy and also provides some red light therapy. They also are the creators of the first Faraday cage sauna, which is completely shielded from all EMFs, so you can really allow your body to fall into a parasympathetic state so that you can detox uh, different toxins from your body while you're sitting in these saunas. If you want to learn more about sauna space, you can go to summitforwellness.com slash sauna or continue listening to this episode because we have the founder of sauna space on. And let's dive right into my conversation with Brian Richards. Brian Richards fully healed his toxin-related acne, brain fog, adrenal fatigue, and more with the power of the incandescent sauna therapy, full-spectrum near-infrared light, and heat therapy. His personal journey to optimal health inspired him to create Sauna Space's incandescent sauna product line in order to help others discover the pathway to natural healing, which now includes the world's first Faraday cage sauna. Thanks for coming on to the show, Brian. Thanks for having me. Of course. And uh, since in your bio, you talked a little bit about some of the issues you were having before you created Sauna Space. So can you talk about what those health issues were for you and how did this infrared light therapy help with that? Yeah, my story is, I think, um, similar to many, many other people out there. I had kind of a weird collection of symptoms of low energy, some brain fog, um, kind of negative mood, negative outlook. And I had um, kind of the strange act that Matt, it's a little unusual. Maybe I had strange acne only on my torso. And so I, I realized at the end of this, after doing, you know, stumbling onto sauna and, and doing, finding my solution that it, I had what I would call adrenal fatigue, adrenal burnout. Uh, I didn't know what that was at that time. And I just had the collection of symptoms I just described to you. And if you met me on the street, though, you'd think, oh, well, you're fine. You know, you didn't see my acne or whatever. And, and, and the rest of these symptoms are kind of kind of nebulous and there. You feel it, but it's hard to describe to other people. And, and so, um, nonetheless, I didn't want to take any pharmacological solutions. I didn't want to take Accutane as was recommended by the dermatologist. Um, and so I did what other people do. You don't have an answer and you're not getting an answer from necessarily conventional medicine, except for drugs, chemical drugs. Um, I went online and did my own research and I kept coming uh, back to sauna and detoxification or, or detoxification, this concept that, oh, the body's toxic. It's got these environmental pollutants in it that are messing it up and, and causing it to not work right. So sauna, every human uh, culture has some kind of sauna or sweat lodge tradition. This stuff goes back a long time. Modern studies have really validated. It's one of the most, most widely studied of all kind of natural modalities using sauna. Uh, so it's been studied for, for so many diseases now in human studies and, and heat therapy in general is incredibly well studied now. And, uh, and in the, in the course of that research, I stumbled across a unique type of sauna called the incandescent sauna. It actually dates to back to Dr. John Harvey Kellogg and his, his sanitarium spas in the early 20th century. And he called it the electric incandescent bath. So it's, it actually dates back to light bulbs were invented in 1889 or something. And then Dr. Kellogg came by immediately a couple years later and said, hey, let's use these 
uh, as a heat source for a sauna and will heal people's maladies. And so you can see these big, huge, like Victorian looking cabinets. And he wrote a, he wrote a, and you can see him in his book. He wrote this book called Phototherapeutics in 1910. So he wrote a book about light therapy, you know, almost close to a hundred years ago, 80 years ago. And, uh, and so that's where it started. And, but this was kind of lost. It's been popularized nowadays by a doctor named Dr. Lawrence Wilson, the Sonotherapy for Detoxification and Healing. It's a, a book that you can buy. And I read this book and I'm very thankful for, to Dr. Wilson for writing it. And I basically built my own incandescent sauna. And uh, one of the other symptoms I was having was insomnia. And I think a lot of people deal with that nowadays too. It's very widespread. So I use the sauna, Brian, uh, two sessions before bed, one day and then the next day right before bed. And then I slept like, like a baby. I basically didn't have any more. It, it, I felt that it cured my insomnia like that in a couple of sessions. And so that's when I had a kind of an aha moment and Hey, there's something more to this. And that led to about four to six months of, of rigorous daily use of it 40, 45 minutes a day, five days a week. And that's when I realized, wow, not only am I sleeping well and my acne, my skin issues, other kind of skin issues kind of cleared up. And, um, I had more energy and I was less irascible and, uh, more, very much more positive in my mood, more patient with other people. And that's when I realized, oh, I, I think I had adrenal fatigue, um, that I was just kind of burnt out too much stress, too much environmental toxic and exposure and not enough good re rejuvenative restorative habits, like what I do every day now. And, um, I was burnt out even though I was young, this was right when I was almost done with my college career. So I was, I sp spent many years studying abroad. So I ended up uh, finishing my college career when I was like 24, 25. And so I should be fine. Right. But I wasn't. Um, but then after six months of, of intense use of this incandescent sauna, I was qualitatively improved and it's hard to describe, but it's when you feel good, you know, there's, it's, 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 it's priceless. It's, it's, it's hard to place value on that. And, and uh, that's kind of what uh, inspired eventually the formation of sauna space and my journey that is now in its sixth year to make the world's uh, most awesome sauna and, um, and most effective sauna and most accessible sauna. And so um, I, I first made a few for some friends and some family and then Eventually, I got my own business loan and started Sauna Space, and and it really um, slow in the beginning, methodical, but really taking off definitely in the last couple of years. So you mentioned how pretty much every single culture had some kind of sauna in their uh, built into their culture. So you had the sweat lodges, and you had all these different types. So why are we using light now compared to just using heat? Is there a benefit to using light? Is it because we're not in sunlight as often as we used to be? Uh, what's the reasoning behind that? Right. That's a great question. Why use incandescent bulbs? So we're getting heat like any other sauna, um, but we're actually heating the body uh, radiantly because we're using deeply penetrating photons. Uh, this has to do with the optical window of the body. But if we're going to heat the body, let's heat it up in the most efficient fashion possible. And we use, um, by focusing on primarily near infrared wavelengths, we can heat the tissue up radiantly and, and very effectively. But at the same time, there's this whole other thing going on called light therapy. It's also called red light therapy or near infrared light therapy. The ancestral context of this is our exposure to sunlight. So people think, oh, sunlight, I'm getting vitamin D. That's what's neutrifying from sunlight. But in fact, vitamin D comes from ultraviolet exposure, which is only like six or seven. Um, it's only, you know, a, a less than 10% of the sun's emission is ultraviolet. The vast majority uh, or the, va the largest plurality or uh, uh, some studies indicate over 50% even of sunlight is near infrared. So the biggest portion of sunlight that we get on earth is near infrared. And it's the near infrared that has a has a healing effect in the cells by way of the mitochondria so this is kind of a buzzword nowadays mitochondria you know we have mitochondria in every cell of the body people will remember it from high school biology maybe as as the battery cell or the energy uh producer in the cell uh, but in fact has a lot 
has a much higher, more important role. It actually fixes the cell. It can, um, it has a regenerative effects and anti-aging effects where it repairs our epigenetics and our DNA and it, uh, reduces inflammation and has a, just a wide array of amazing effects. And it's all a function of being exposed to this special, uh, wavelength of light called near infrared. And so ancestral humans running around naked at the equator, um, got near infrared light into every cell of their body every day, you know, like a big substantial dose. Um, and for example, if you look at bone tissue, the only wavelengths that have been shown to penetrate bone tissue uh, with any significance are near infrared. And so you have mitochondria in your bones too. So this is not just about therapy for your skin or making your skin look better. This is a fundamental cellular healing system in every cell of the body, in our nerves, in our gut, um, just all of our organs everywhere. And so if we're going to sit there and do sauna, well, why not do this whole other healing modality at the same time? And, and if you use an incandescent light source, you get, um, you get what is a natural form of light. It's not just about it being near infrared. It's not just near infrared. It's broad spectrum. It's just like sunlight in it being a lot of wavelengths in a very natural kind of bell curve power mission. Uh, the difference between our, uh, a sauna space incandescent lamp and, and sunlight is that, uh, our, our, um, our incandescent bulbs don't emit any blue or ultraviolet. Whereas sunlight, that's the issue with sunlight is sunlight's kind of a double-edged sword, uh, as it's, healing you and regenerating you with red near infrared, it's actually killing you with ultraviolet and blue ultraviolet and blue are high energy wavelengths. They cause free radical formation and ultraviolet light is ionizing is, is directly ionizing radiation. So it, it literally causes mutations in your DNA, but even blue light is, is damaging, even though it's not ionizing. That's why, um, we have kind of some modern adaptations to all this artificial lighting we have nowadays. So we have fluorescent light, and LED light, it's all blue. It's blue only wavelengths. And so we get way too much of this. So the phones now have like a red, sh a night shift mode, or uh, there are filters you can use on uh, your, on your, on your computer to lessen the amount of blue emission. Um, and people wear blue blocker glasses. Now, those are all a recognition that blue, blue light is inherently damaging. And so unlike the sunlight, our lamps give you basically the, the, the whole, the wholesome goodness of the regenerative uh, portion of sunlight, basically, and none of the problematic uh, blue and ultraviolet wavelengths. And people can't see you right now, but right now you have one of the red lights shining on you. So do you still need to be using one of the uh, blue light blocking glasses in order to... Uh, you know, reduce the exposure to the computer or phone or whatever it is you're looking at? Or can you use like what you're doing using one of the red lights uh, to be able to block that out or minimize it? Well, you would want to do both, Brian. You want to mitigate your exposure to the blue. We got to work at the computer, right? There's no avoiding that. Even if you use flux or other um, kind of red shifting, warming uh, tone filters on the computer, you're still getting a lot of blue emission. And so wherever that hits your, your face and your skin, that's causing free radical formation and causing damage um, slowly but surely. So what I do is I actually wear, if I'm not recording with you, I almost always wear my, my blue blocker glasses when I'm working at the computer. But then I also keep this, um, this photon, so it's a single light bulb that Sonospace makes, um, and I keep it on all day long. It, you can use it for spot therapy for kind of targeted therapy on any part of the body, which is its original primary use, but it's, it's very commonly used now for environmental therapy. So it has the red light, uh, and the near infrared light and the heat therapy that, that the, that our sauna space sauna has, but you can kind of have that at the office to mitigate and reverse this damage from blue light and also, um, mitigate other toxic effects of our modern artificial environments. Um, another issue with, LED and fluorescent lighting in our in our homes and our offices is that it flickers. Mm -hmm. So flickering uh, um, LEDs typically flicker at 120 hertz. That's two times a second. And fluorescent bulbs flicker at like 400 to 600 hertz or something. Uh, this is like a giant strobe light in your face. If you can imagine, you wouldn't do that um, 
you know, that's a stressful thing. And so it's a kind of a micro stress that's in our environment. And the, this bowl, because it's so high wattage and it's, uh, the photons are not flickering They're um, the filament is so hot that it, it doesn't have a chance to cool down and is therefore it never turns off. There's no pulsing effect of, of the sauna space bulb. It actually also counteracts the uh, flicker effect of the led infrared lighting. And I could show your users, your, your, or your, uh, your listeners, I could show them that, you know, if we had video that you can hold a, a source of flickering light, like an led screen or a, a fluorescent light bulb up to the bulb and, it can, you can't measure any flickery rate when you're in front of this bulb. And we see that at the shows too. So it's, it's, uh, it's a way of not just kind of healing. It's also creating an environment that's more natural. I mean, you think about it like uh, it's, it's basically like a portable fireplace. It has that glow. It has that effect and it has that effect on your mood. You know, when you sit in front of the bonfire, or the fireplace, it's not just heat that makes you feel good. There is some photobiomodulation that's going on, albeit not very, not very much. There's a there's a healing effect that's a function of your exposure to this near infrared light from from the fireplace or the bonfire that uh, it, it just makes you feel good. It's 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 built into every cell of our body. All animals have this, so uh, and it's something that we crave. And so this bulb and the sauna, these are ways to trick the body basically that it uh that it's back in its ancestral context because biologically that's what we need you know you, you we have all these modern technologies and they've improved our quality of life in many ways right but um they are been very detrimental to our health and many others and so what the body needs is what i got a thousand and ten thousand years ago and you know our ancestors understood this that's why they did sauna they knew that sustained sweating um, under a heat stress in a passive environment in a relaxed, you know, environment has rejuvenative benefits. Uh, and it's much more than detoxification. And earlier you mentioned that, you know, if you're standing at the equator and you're butt naked and you're standing in the sun all day long, then you're going to have access to all these different rays. However, cultures were kind of spread out all over the world. So you'd have people all the way up in the Arctic and then all the way down to the tropical areas. So genetically are people, are there some people that um, can utilize these near infrared rays better than others and uh, um, genetically have different people's um, been able to adapt differently to being able to fully utilize these wavelengths? Yeah, so everybody needs the wavelengths, um, and so we're all—we're not just adapted to it. We're—it's we're, essential to our well-being. Um, but yeah, uh, if you have darker skin, you need two or three or four times as much exposure to sunlight to get the same dose. So mm -hmm. more melanin. If you're if you're you know African American, you have very dark skin, uh, or you're you know um, uh, Middle Eastern, and you have very very dark brown skin versus uh, you and I here, Brian, we're, we're very light skinned. Uh, we get, we get better. Um, we get a quicker dose and we have basically better penetration of the wavelengths. Uh, but we also burn faster. So there's absolutely an evolutionary adaptation there. You can be outside longer under and get more ultraviolet and blue exposure without photochemical burning. Uh, if you're very dark skin, but you also therefore need more sunlight, need, need more near infrared as well. So um, the thing is, the ancestral humans, regardless of skin color, weren't outside. Uh, we should be precise here. They weren't outside naked under sunlight all day long. They're outside in the morning and the evening primarily. And at midday, when you had the ratio of ultraviolet light to near infrared light is the highest at midday. So the ancient humans would uh, most likely be resting under the shade of a tree or something. And you have hair on your head to protect you to some degree. But in the morning, uh, the ratio of near infrared to ultraviolet is, is much higher. So you get um, your best time to get your, your dose of healing wavelengths of near infrared is in the morning and the evening. It's at sunrise and at sunset. Blue light and ultraviolet light is higher frequency, so it moves faster. So it gets to the earth faster and it ends faster. So at sunset, there is no more ultraviolet blue. It's only red near infrared. So it has 
at the end of the day, kind of you get this regenerative dose and boost before you go to bed. And so ancestral humans were not likely laying out at 1 p.m. at the beach, um, you know, under the sunlight. Um, so and, and they knew how to play that game that, hey, there there's some issues with getting too much ultraviolet. So how can we maximize the beneficial effects of sunlight? Well, morning and evening. And for those who are, are of the most light skin, most pale complexion, uh, we need to follow that really rigorously. And there's actually a real interesting concept um, of uh, that's called sun callus, creating a sun callus, where you can actually, um, so near infrared light, it has a, a protective uh, effect on the body. If you dose yourself with near infrared wavelengths and you stimulate the mitochondria, it protects you from the ultraviolet damage. And so if you think about it evolutionarily, that the sun again is with near infrared, this, this mito the mitochondrial stimulation system is helping protect the body from the damaging effects of the ultraviolet that it's receiving at the same time from the sunlight. And so if you wake up and you get that dose in the morning, uh, and you kind of build up a tolerance, you can, uh, as a, even as a very fair skinned person be out in midday for much longer periods without getting a sunburn. Interesting. And then, um, you know, there's a lot of saunas that talk about far infrared as well, or that's all they have in their sauna. So what's the difference between near infrared and far infrared and, um, which one is better for us to be exposed to? So, so fundamentally the difference is one of wavelength near infrared is next to red. So this is high energy infrared and shorter wavelength. Far infrared wavelengths are low energy and therefore long wavelength. They're at like 3000 greater nanometers. Um, so that's like the, 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 the basic difference, but in terms of the human context and biology, the difference is near infrared is, is, is the, is the wavelength of nature and far infrared doesn't really exist in our ancestral context at all. So if you look at sunlight over 43%, uh, or according to some measurements, over 50% of sunlight is near infrared. So the largest chunk of sunlight is near infrared. Far infrared is, a, is only like two or 3% of sunlight. So sunlight has very little far infrared at all. And the far infrared that it does have is almost entirely absorbed by the atmosphere. And this has to do with water, water absorption. So if you can look at this, and this is a pretty well understood concept, uh, both for in agriculture and with farmers, and that's why they use incandescent bulbs to heat livestock, because it's the most efficient way to heat tissue, is using a primarily near infrared light source, the incandescent bulb, um, but also from a kind of a light therapy photobiomodulation perspective, you have what's called the optical window of the human body. Um, one of the most common substances in the body is uh, are water and hemoglobin. So hemoglobin absorbs blue light and anything below 400 nanometers primarily. And then water begins to absorb strongly at, at about 1200 to 1500 nanometers, right? When near infrared is kind of the latter half of near infrared. So within those two, there's this, there's this what's called the optical window of the human body from about 600 to 1400 nanometers. And it's within that narrow window that wavelengths penetrate really deeply in the body. And oh, what a coincidence. That's exactly, almost exactly overlays red light and near infrared light. And if we look at the most deeply penetrating wavelengths, those are about 830 or so nanometers. It's near infrared that penetrates the deepest. Um, and, and that's a fundamental difference between near and far infrared is near infrared is radiant penetrating heat in spite of you know, what might be said on from this manufacturer, that manufacturer, this is a basic concept of physics. And uh, you can look at old Phillips light bulb data sheets, and they talk about how NIRA near infrared is the best way to, you know, heat your chickens and uh, compared to far infrared, and it has to do with tissue penetration. So near infrared penetrates very deeply far infrared does not. But even more than that, it's this mitochondrial thing. The light receptor protein, it's called the cytochrome C. It's one of the main proteins on the membrane of, uh, and it's involved in the energy production of the mitochondria. That is the light receptor protein. And that's where all the magic happens. So that, that, uh, protein only absorbs red and near infrared light. 
the absorption band is 600 to a thousand nanometers, uh, uh, basically. And, um, so if we're talking about photobiomodulation or light activating biological systems, only near infrared and red light does that far infrared has no photobio, uh, you know, photobiological effect period. So far infrared wavelengths are only heating the body. And if we're going to heat the body, let's, you know, let's use a more efficient way to heat the body near infrared. And then at the same time, Hey, let's, let's, let's photobiomodulate because we know we have all these amazing benefits to that too. It's there. Um, you know, there's over 5,000 low level light therapy studies. Now it's, it's really well documented. That's the basic fundamental difference. If you look at the, at the market, the, the pro predominant infrared sauna out there is a far infrared sauna. They have basically long ceramic tube emitters, or they have black carbon based panels and they emit far infrared wavelengths. And there's just a misunderstanding of, uh, they're, they're associating, they're, they're associating benefits of heat therapy to far infrared when it's the heat therapy that gives the benefit it's heating the body up by three degrees and causing it to sweat passively. They get you what's called a heat shock protein response, which is where all the magic is with heat therapy. You get detoxification, you get protein refolding and rebuilding, um, amazing vascular stress response effects, growth hormone and BDNF, all these amazing things happen. All you have to do is heat up the body to do that. So any modality that's like a full body hyperthermic therapy where you're heating the whole body up, Will achieve those effects um so it's not unique to far infrared it applies to sweat lodges and steam saunas and even sitting in a in a, in a bathtub in hot water for a long enough time uh we feel though that uh, you know if we're going to do this let's do near infrared let's do incandescent for the light therapy benefits um the more efficient heating um and then we you know we at sauna space have focused for a long time now on uh dealing with the problematic issues of man-made emf stress and trying to get that out of the, the therapeutic experience. Yeah. And we've had Brian Hoyer um, on the show a couple of times to talk about the EMF exposures and he talked about EMF exposures and a lot of saunas too. So uh, people can always go back and listen to those. Now you mentioned that uh, near infrared penetrates deeper into the body. And I'm sure it depends on how close you're sitting to the light bulbs, but how deep can it penetrate once it hits the skin? So um, there's one NASA study where water filtered near infrared light penetrate up to 23 centimeters into a calf, to calf, a human calf muscle, which is like seven or nine inches. I forget. Um, it's a pretty big calf muscle admittedly, but mm -hmm. um, that's very deep. And so you see that, uh, Average penetration will be four to five inches. Uh, some photons will penetrate, you know, up to up to seven or eight or nine inches. But all of that is, um, you know, orders of magnitude deeper penetration than, say, a far infrared wavelength or even red light. Red light doesn't penetrate very deeply. Um, it's near infrared that penetrates the deepest. As far as uh, um, it penetrating the body, if it gets to the body, it's um, it's going to penetrate, but if you're wearing clothing, for example, that would block it. So under the sun, if we're wearing a shirt, uh, unless it's like really white, light linen or really thin cotton, that's white, it, you're not getting any penetration at all. It's all getting blocked. Uh, but in the sauna, so in a sauna space sauna, you're naked in there. Like you are, I, I would imagine in any sauna. Um, but you sit very close to these lamps. You're about two feet away or so. And we do that to get, um, you know, kind of an ideal level of, of light therapy. Um, and we're getting a lot of heat at the same time. Um, so as, as long as your, your torso is exposed to the bulbs, you get a uh, very deep penetration into the body. Um, and you feel it, you feel it just like when you're out in the sun, you kind of, you feel warm from the inside. Uh, it's a very visceral, but good feeling heat that you, that you feel from near infrared. And can you take these bulbs and focus it more on specific organs to try to get them to uh, activate a little bit more? Yeah, you absolutely can. In, in, um, in the sauna space sauna, there are four 250 watt bulbs and they're focused on the torso because, you know, all of our bodily functions are in these internal organs here in our torso. And really that's where the toxic exposure is. And also in the head, we have a lot of, um, heavy metal, you know, to uh, um, toxicity in our brains nowadays, but 
if you talk about overall functioning of the body, it's in the organ. So in the sauna, you focus the four bulbs on the torso, but these are these are large reflector shaped bulbs. So you get a substantial dose on the head and the feet as well, but it's primarily focused on the torso. And, and the idea is they, that's the cornerstone of your health. If you hit the whole body, um, you know, with discipline, uh, several times a week, you get maximal benefit beyond that though. You can absolutely use one bulb for targeted therapy. If you have a problem issue, whether it's a limb, or a shoulder joint, or uh, people use it for mood enhancement and and you know general like you know anxiety and and issues of uh, of that sort or or you know more psychological type things. People use it on the head for ten minutes an hour. Um, if you had joint issues or if you had gut health issues, you could use it on the on the belly um, for longer periods of time. If you're doing anything besides the head, the the standard protocol is to do. 10 to 20 or even 30 minutes, uh, one or two feet away with one bulb. And you can do that many times a day, maybe five or 10 times a day. And you can really focus on that, that problem area um, in between your sauna sessions throughout the day. So like we talked about before, I have one in my office here. I do do a little bit of targeted therapy on my gut and my face during the day. And then most of the time I keep it more than two feet away and just kind of poking up, uh, facing up or facing to the side. And it's more of an environmental therapy at that point. It's, it's not up close and targeted. And then for uh, larger set people that have more than seven to nine inches, uh, before you get deep into the internal organs, do you recommend them uh, rotating while they're in the sauna space sauna, so that you're hitting it from different sides? Yes, and that's actually the standard protocol. So you rotate every four, four to eight minutes, you know, it's, you want some kind of rotation, but we recommend, Hey, first start out with 20 minutes, um, start facing the lamps. And after five minutes, rotate a quarter turn. So you get a better heating of the torso that way. Um, and you slosh the blood around quite nicely. And you also kind of modulate your, uh, both your heat and your light therapy dose. And then as you rotate, you're definitely getting your maximal, um, penetration of the near infrared photons into all the areas. So obviously when you rotate to the left, you're going to get your kidney more. And when you rotate the back, you know, the organs that are closer to the backside. And when you're on the front, it's more of the gut and, and the face. And, um, you get a pretty total, uh, exposure as you rotate. Um, and that's, that's what everybody does in the session. And then do you have, uh, like since it's uh, pointed right at your face, do you have to worry about eye protection at all? Is that a good idea or does it not cause too much damage to the eyes? Uh, that's a great question. And uh, it's kind of a misunderstanding uh, out there. We don't recommend uh, eye protection. If you want to use it, you can. But um, I personally and our, our position is that it's actually quite beneficial for the eyes. You have mitochondria in your ocular tissue. Uh, near infrared light also has secondary effects beyond mitochondrial stimulation. It increases, for example, the transfer velocity of water. So it basically makes water be a more efficient nutrient delivery truck, which is very important for the photoreceptor cells in your retina. They are not directly supplied by blood. They're actually the farthest distance from blood, uh, from a blood vessel of any cell in your body. So they are relying hundred percent on water, bringing in the nutrients. So if you shine near for a light on them, the water brings the nutrients to those really hungry photoreceptor cells more rapidly. Um, there are also, there's also some interesting, uh, an interesting study from 2017 where um, that near for light therapy actually improved uh, retinal health and was reversing retinal disease. Um, and you can look that up on the PubMed. There's quite a, it's, 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 um, it's, it's all about, it's a good effect uh, if it's used with an understanding of what um, ormesis is or medic stress. So you want to you want to give an ancestral dose and a, and a substantial dose that gives you a beneficial response, but not give too much. It's the same thing with heat. Too much um, light therapy or heat therapy is not a good thing. Uh, you want to get the right amount. So if you look at um, if you, if you look at our ancestral context again, I keep going back to that. Um, a human standing on the equator 
in a normal day, more or less, at a normal elevation, you know, close to sea level, um, would get between uh, 20 to 40 or maybe even 60 or 80 milliwatts per centimeter squared of near-infrared wavelengths. So that's the, the radiance level, the power level that they would get. And so a couple hours a day of that, you know, is, is something that was, is a natural level. And if you're talking about 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, even 70 or 80 milliwatts per centimeter squared, these are low doses. This is very low powered stuff. Compare that to, if you look at the original, the oldest studies of light therapy, the reason uh, uh, the, the modern usage is a low level light therapy is that the, some of the original studies uses high level light therapy, like a laser beam. And when you use near infrared um, at a level that's like a couple hundred milliwatts per centimeter squared, maybe even a thousand, you have damaging effects. You cause you cause thermal heating, and, and so that's the misunderstanding. There's a great article that's called "Friend or Foe" by Dr. Michael Hamblin. For those who want to read uh, more into this, if you look at if you review all the studies on light therapy, you see that when we stick to an ancestral dose, low levels and limited dosage, limited duration. We have amazing beneficial effects, but just like, just like heat and just like sauna, um, you know, there's a maximal benefit we get from a certain duration of use after which the benefits plateau or even become adverse. And so we don't want to do too much. We want to do just the right amount. So sauna space, for example, has uh, a new light bulb that we're coming out with uh, next month in June. It's our own handmade light bulb. And so what I've done, Brian, is I've redesign the filament to be uh to run hotter and shift the spectrum to deliver a higher percentage of red and near infrared wavelengths and so this bulb also feels hotter and it heats you up faster and where i was previously doing 35 minutes of sauna now i'm uh, i'm sweating really fast in like nine minutes and i'm only doing about 20 minutes and so i i think with the new bulb we'll revise our recommendations to do a, a lower you know, a, le a lesser duration because we're getting all the benefit we need with five or 10 minutes of passive sweating. And since we're getting a higher um, a radiance, a higher level of um, a higher level of near infrared wavelengths, we don't need uh, as long of a duration session to get the same dose. Yeah. And like we talked about before we started recording here, uh, people are in a rush to do everything. So to shave off 15 minutes is quite a bit for a sauna session. And that'll definitely benefit a lot more people. Yeah. And the, and the other interesting thing is that I used to, we used to preheat. Our original recommendation is, hey, preheat at five or 10 minutes and then hop in and stay in there and do the rotation until you get five or 10 minutes of strong sweat response. Because that's when you're getting all the the maximal benefits you're trying to achieve. And that's like the goal. And you could do it a little bit longer than that, but if you can do that, you it's amazing. And so now um, I don't even preheat. So I'll get in, the sauna's cold, I'll flick the lights on, close the curtain, and without any preheating or anything, I'm still s having a strong sweat response in like 10 minutes. It's uh, really a dramatic difference. So I think it'll be quite a game changer. It's been um, many years in development. Um, but it's, it's really cool. It's also got some other design features to it that uh, people will see and hear about soon. And then you talked briefly about EMFs. And we know that when people are exposed to EMFs, it can prevent their body from falling into a parasympathetic state, which is the state they need to be in in order to properly detox. So you have uh, one of your saunas is completely EMF uh, shielded so that when people are in there, they're getting the full benefits of the heat and light therapy while they're in it. So can you talk about what did you do to uh, be able to block out all of those EMFs so that people get that type of healing power in that sauna? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So there's two things we've done. One is we've addressed EMF stress coming from the product itself. Anything that's electrical has voltage issues and that can leak out and influence the user and increase your body voltage and, and stress you out. And then you have all the biological effects we don't want. And they definitely counteract what we're trying to do here. We're trying to heal and detox and, and restore. So we use a variety of grounding and shielding principles, including our, our light bulbs guard is its own Faraday cage um, that 
um, it, it, it's all prevents basically any um, electric field influence. And also we use some magnetic field mitigation principles to reduce and minimize the magnetic field such that there's zero electric field that comes out of the product. And the magnetic field doesn't come out more than about two inches from the panel. So where the user sits beyond the guard, you're completely outside of the influence of the electric and magnetic field of the product. And um, for those of you um, who, who may scratch your heads and say, well, hey, how can this be a Faraday cage, the, the light guard, if it's, if it's just a wire form guard, if it has holes in it? Well, that's because the a, uh, electricity runs at 50 or 60 hertz. And don't quote me on this. I think it's like uh, 22 or 24 feet long is the wavelength. So 50 or 60 hertz, the frequency of electricity, the wavelength that of that is, you know, like 20 over 20 feet long. So these wavelengths can't um, basically get out of the guard. And so that's how we've achieved that. And then and. Um, um, we also use, uh, you know, every, everything internally is shielded on it. We use a shielded power cord. We've totally locked the thing down. But that is only half of the issue. The other issue is what about environmental EMF? What do you do about the cell phone signal, the dirty electricity that everybody has in their homes now? Uh, it's a real problem. And that stuff, you know, it's it's very challenging to, to uh, get rid of. So what we've done is basically we now have a second generation Faraday sauna product that uh, uses uh, Sonospace's own custom design uh, micro stainless steel fabric, and so we 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 made an entire liner system of this this fabric that is itself grounded and made the entire sauna enclosure a Faraday cage, where even underneath the bamboo mat that comes standard with our sauna, the this uh, the stainless steel grounded material is built in, and there's uh, grounding cables that connect everything together, um, and that all grounds through the light panels ground system. So even the basic sauna that we that we offer has a built-in grounding mat. The bamboo mat itself is grounding. And then for those who want complete wireless electric field protection and complete, you know, EMF protection, as it were, uh, we have this liner system. And it's hard to describe to people kind of what it feels like, um, but you definitely notice it, especially being a... Um, you know, a dedicated sauna user for many years, you, you can feel it. It's kind of like quiet to the senses inside. It's, it's, it has a, has a quietness and that's that parasympathetic response. Your body's like finally not under the influence of this electro smog, this micro stress that's all around us. And we're humans are tough. You know, we've got great constitution. We've got a lot of perseverance. We can take a lot of abuse. And so we get used to these stresses. We get used to stressful lifestyle, used to um, and it's almost addictive. Blue light is addictive. EMF stress, I think, has an addictive component to it. Uh, um, habits that cause a dopamine response and put us into sympathetic dominance, they, uh, you know, they're addictive. But um, when you get away from it, it's only when you get away from it that you realize um, how strong the effect was. And so that's kind of a new therapy that we've introduced into, you know, the sauna space session with the shielded product is, is this almost sensory deprivation that's going on where it's the only time a modern human has ever been in a, a, a perfectly parasympathetic environment. There's, there's only one stimulus in there and it's this, it's a parasympathetic healing stimulus. There are no sympathetic stressors inside the experience. So it's been, been a lot of design kind of development, a lot of trial and error and a lot of figuring out and um, very thankful to have met Brian Hoyer who um, put me on this journey and um, um, helped me out, helped me understand the situation a lot. And, and now I've um, basically made it a primary focus to where it's not an issue at all with our products. And, um, and, and, and we can measure this too. So there are limitations, you know, to it and, and very, it can, anything can be broken in very high environments. Like if you took a two way radio right next to it. So, um, our recommendation is to, you know, keep transmitting devices away from the sauna. But as, um, as a general solution, it's, it's incredibly successful and, and it works in almost every home environment. And unlike a, uh, ex, you know, experimental Faraday cage you would find in a laboratory somewhere, it's not, 
this 20,000 pound steel box. It's, it's a, it's a lightweight stainless steel material. That's, um, very versatile, very, and very effective and, and frankly, uh, affordable. Um, you know, this, we've, we've, we've made it portable. We've made it accessible. We've made it affordable. Uh, it's durable. And, uh, and it is an optional kind of add on to our sauna, but it's really what everybody's kind of going gravitating towards now. And, and you can always add it in later if, if you want, but I, I find, I think it's essential. Uh, you, you probably talking Brian Hoyer show a lot about kind of the biological effects of electromagnetic stress. This stuff has a direct tie into what we're trying to do in the sauna. So I won't go into too much of the cellular biology, but, um, I would like to give an example. Um, so, uh, so calcium, uh, the, the electromagnetic stress opens the voltage gated calcium ion channels and causes calcium to flood in the cell. And that disrupts a lot of cellular systems and causes oxidative stress and, and free radical formation and damage. And calcium though, is also an inhibitor of heat shock protein expression. So the EMF stress can literally be said to be, um, counteracting the ability of the body to do this healing stuff it's trying to do with heat therapy. Um, and, and so it's so quite, it, it, that is just one example, but that's a, a powerful example of, of, of why, um, it's important to have the total EMF protection while you're, you're doing sauna therapy. It's not just about getting a break from everything else. It's, it's about preventing this stress in the environment from counteracting the, the, the healing effects and the therapeutic effects you're, we're, we're trying to achieve. Yeah, that's super powerful just at the cell cellular level, what's going on there. So that's, uh, thank you for just sharing that with us. Um, my question to you is since, uh, the EMF stressors that we have in our environment are constantly changing. Uh, do people have to constantly upgrade their sauna enclosure to be able to deal with this? Like now we have 5G coming out. So um, how often do people need to make adjustments in order to get that uh, sense of serenity that you were talking about? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, our, our um, we tried to be forward thinking with our, our newest fabric that we've custom made. Um, like I said, this is the second generation of our Faraday shielding system. And we actually have it third party tested to, um, to attenuate 5g frequencies up to 40 gigahertz pretty, pretty effectively, uh, pretty well. So anything is definitely better than nothing. Um, but I think we're pretty forward thinking in, in trying to address from the get go, these higher frequencies that are coming out. Uh, having said that, um, it's not just about the frequency and the new technology, the 5g, it has to do with probably more relevant is the actual power level that's measured where you're at, where you're putting the sauna, where you're living, the home you're living in. And, um, even in many 4g environments, if you have a lot of antennas and a lot of transmitters, you would be what's called in a high intensity area. And that. Uh, many years from now, that still may be a uh, higher wattage you're receiving at that spot than other areas that have 5G frequencies, higher frequencies now, but they have overall lower wattage. They're receiving less transmitters in their in that particular area of space. So um, it will always be a back and forth, Brian, but I think uh, we're ahead of the game with even um, making a, a sincere attempt to address this. Uh, but it's no doubt that as... 5G gets introduced. It's not just about higher frequencies. It's a doubling and tripling and quadrupling of the wattage of the 4G LTE frequencies. And so there's that, that uh, federally, federally um, funded study that uh, linked the development of, of, of cancerous tumors in rats with exposure to 2G and 3G wavelengths. And then that's disparaged where they say, oh, well, that's, uh, that's in rats. And humans can handle a lot higher dosages. And 5G is, is, is about making these lower powered, higher frequency transmitters that carry more data, right? And so we need less wattage. But that's not what's happening. They're not turning off the 4G technology and turning on the 5G. They're doubling, tripling, quadrupling the power of the 4G and then adding in the 5G. So the dosage levels 
are increasing dramatically. And, and no one knows that, you know, none of this, there are no safety studies that have been conducted on these dosage levels that are basically coming out right now and are, you know, will we'll, we'll continue to come out in the subsequent years. And so the 10 year, the long-term studies have yet to be done, but um, it's, it's certainly a case where it doesn't have a beneficial effect. And the more you dose someone or the higher doses you receive, the more rapid the adverse effects will be. And so when's the breaking point for, um, you know, for, for the human race? I don't know. I, I think we could still handle a lot more, but it's not something, it's also not something that kills you in a day. So it's, it's tricky, you know, who to blame and for what and what caused what, and was it some dietary or other environmental toxicant, or was it the electro, non, the man-made electromagnetic exposure or, you know, what was it? Um, it's, it's hard to say, but it is something that we should at least be investigating. And, and even that's not being done. And, and I think that there are some serious long-term consequences. And since there is no going back and no turning back the clock and no, really no avoiding this, um, the, the rollout of this new technology, I think our only solution is to create safe spaces. And, and so we've started that process by making sure our sauna is, is protected from, from, from that. Yeah. It's not like we can stop it. It's coming, like you said, one way or the other, we can only do what we can for ourselves. Um, is there any last, uh, things you want to touch on with, uh, near infrared saunas, heat therapy and light therapy? No, I mean, we, we hit a lot. There's a there's a whole lot more to the science, you know, and you can certainly search that LLT and, and near infrared light therapy. There's also a lot more to the heat therapy. I would like to add this in just a little bit because people typically associate sauna with detoxification and it's a great way to detox. But heat therapy is, uh, I think that uh, the reason it we see these amazing studies of longevity and how it's um, reducing uh, risk of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and and stroke and so many other things that are uh, humans long-term human studies that are so dramatic is it's much more than detoxification. The other thing that these heat shock proteins do when you heat up the body and the body makes heat shock proteins is they do what's called protein refolding. So proteins are the kind of the molecular workers in the body. They're the they're the assembly line workers. They're doing all of the work inside and outside the cell. At, and so many different levels. Um, they're the messengers and and the connectors and and the carriers and and so many different things. So, if you've ever seen a protein on a on a computer model, it looks like a big wad of tissue paper with a bunch of like ribbons coming out of it. They're really complex uh, molecular constructs that if they have like one or two bad folds, uh, they don't work right or they may not work at all. And so, for example, sauna therapy has been shown to reduce insulin resistance. And that's because the heat shock protein is going out and it's refolding the insulin receptor protein on the insulin receptor on the outside of the cell. And so the insulin comes in and it can better bind to the insulin receptor. So insulin signaling is improved. And so if you think about it, that's just one example of like a major hormonal system that can be restored and rejuvenated by doing sauna therapy. It's not just about cleansing the body. It's about restoring functioning. We're, it, sauna therapy is literally through protein refolding, like re-sculpting the, the insides and the outsides of all the cells of the body from the proteins up and, and, and the systemic effects to the body and the tissues and, and in terms of health are, uh, are, 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 you know, dramatic and amazing. And they come slowly but surely over time. But it is such a simple way to so just sit there and sweat in this in this environment under this under the stimulus of heat and there's so many beneficial things going there is no other modality on earth that that delivers these kind of effects um you know uh in an a specific fashion where it's hitting all the cells of the body all the tissues all the organs so i just find that fascinating that the more and more we study it's the heat therapy it's not just about cleansing. It's, it's about, you know, the studies are indicating and supporting more and more that it's, 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 it's a, a potent actor in reversing disease. 
Yeah, that's really neat because I always think of it as detox too. So the fact that there's more going on within the body with the heat. Um, and I'm sure as more studies come out, we're going to keep learning more and more and more how beneficial that is. So yeah, that's I love that something so simple can do so much for the body. Yeah, it's really it's really quite amazing. And I I didn't know anything about this in the beginning. I was, you know, just it was just me and my personal health problems in the beginning and quite selfish ones, really. But it worked for me. And then I I got into this deeply. And in this, it's only in the, the 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 latter, you know, the last few years where I really dive deep into the science. And there's just so much out there and, and using hyperthermic therapy, using heat to address different diseases and health issues. Um, there's even immunotolerizing effects where heat therapy calms the immune system and helps the, the body uh, metabolize and, and deal with inflammatory proteins. And so they're like beneficial effects that are being shown with diabetes, with, uh, with chronic fatigue syndrome, with MS and fibromyalgia and things that are these really intractable diseases for which conventional conventional, um, medical approaches, they, they, they don't have any answer for it. They basically prescribe pain management medication and, and, and stuff to improve the quality of life a little bit, but there's no disease reversal going on per se. And, and yet here there, there potentially is. Yeah. Combining this with, um, you know, healthy lifestyles, improving the food that's going into our bodies and, um, yeah, it all makes a big difference. It's all part of the puzzle, which is really neat. Uh, my final question for you, and I'm sure uh, using your sauna space sauna as part of it, but do you have a morning routine? And if so, what is it? Yeah, absolutely. So my product is a part of my morning routine. I, uh, on a good day, I wake up at, at uh, you know, five or so and get in, like I said, no preheating, do a, a 20 or a minute session in my Faraday sauna. Um, and then I get out sweating. I'm sweating like crazy and I get out and I, um, I get in the shower and I actually scrub off with a, uh, a bristle brush, my entire body that improves the lymphatic response and helps the lymphatic system, um, aids in the activation of lymphatic system. So, and it feels amazing and it really makes your skin look great. Um, with, you know, repeated use. So then I get out and I kind of get prepared for the day and go to work. And once I get to work, I make a, a fat coffee for myself, um, butter, butter, coconut oil, and a kind of a quite a, quite a potion. Actually, it is nowadays. I put in turmeric, um, some kind of mushroom powder, either lion's mane. I'm a big fan of five, five defenders lately. It's a real mushrooms product. Um, so I put all that in. Uh, I also take chlorella quite a bit. That's um, uh, that's kind of a digestive binder. It helps the body detoxify. I figure if, if I'm already doing sauna, I try to support it as much as I can. Uh, and lately, I actually added this new thing called uh, nigella sativa. So this is an ancient like Egyptian Phoenician panacea, they called it. It's In English, it's called black onion seed or black cumin seed or even black caraway seed but the the latin name is nigella sativa and the ancient egyptians actually uh wealthy ancient or wealthy egyptians were buried with it a bottle of 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 nigella sativa oil because it was considered to be such an important um you know a panacea such an important antidote to so many things so you can take a teaspoon of it for general health um you can put it under your nose if you have allergy or sinus issues, or if people have ear pain or ear infections, they, you can use it with a dropper and put it in your ear. So I've been taking a teaspoon of that in the morning. Um, I don't know what the effects of it are yet, but it's, uh, that's kind of my morning routine. And then when I get to work, I wear the blue blockers as much as I can. If I'm working at the computer, I definitely, um, use my, my photon, my single light all light all day long for, environmental protection. And I try to have everything kind of in my office space shielded, um, all the, the wired electronics anyway. And the lighting above me is only incandescent light. So I have no LED or fluorescent light, at least in my office. 
and uh, that's kind of my my weekly routine. So five days a week uh, for quite some time now. I I've been doing that exactly. I'm I'm curious. I'm assuming that uh, when you jump into the sauna space, that uh, it's in a fasted state. So, have you tried doing the chlorella directly after you get out of the sauna instead of doing it with your coffee? Because sometimes chlorella can bind to the other nutrients that's in your coffee, and then you won't be able to utilize them as well. And um, it's not necessarily binding to the toxins because it's got that delayed uh, entry into the system. You know what I have, and I just started doing it. Uh, actually, uh, based on Brian Hoyer's and Dr. Klinghart's also uh, recommendation. So, uh, you make a good point, and maybe I should just take it right when I get out of the sauna, and not forty, you know, half hour, forty five minutes later when I'm at work and I, I have my coffee at work. Um, yeah. I've, I've also uh, there's this idea of intermittent fasting. Um, you know, Dr. Mercola is talking about it in his new keto fast book, and. Uh, this idea of uh, metabolic flexibility and making the fasting window, including the time you sleep, be like uh, ideally like 16 hours. And so that's something I have yet to do and I'd like to incorporate that into my routine, which would mean I wouldn't uh, have my fat coffee or any breakfast or anything until like 8 or 9 p.m. or 8 or 9 a.m. And so I've yet to try that, but I think that I think there's a lot of value to that, and um, I'm hoping to incorporate that eventually into my routine as well. Um, although I admit I love snacking, and <laughs> uh, and definitely this idea that you can't have any snacks after 5 p.m. it's it's intimidating. Uh, I think it takes some discipline to overcome, but I will keep that in mind. Uh, absolutely, I'll, I'll start doing that now and and see how it goes. Yeah, report back. I'm curious. Um, so people can find you at saunaspace.com. You're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. All three of those are sauna space. Um, and I think you just mentioned that you might be at sauna.space as well. Is that true? Yeah, we should have our kind of updated website rolling out this summer. And uh, yeah, it'll be on sauna.space. But, you know, either which way, if you just search us on any search engine, you'll it comes up with sauna space. We're sauna space. Our handle is sauna space. Like you said, on all the social media platforms, we're, we're pretty easy to find. Awesome. Well, thank you, Brian, so much. Uh, there's definitely a lot of information that goes into a heat and light therapy. So I'm, I'm really thankful that you took the time to share it with us. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad to have been here, Brian. Thank you for having me. Wow, Brian shared so much good information with us about near-infrared light, heat therapy, and light therapy, and it can be a little overwhelming, so just take a couple key points that he made in this episode, and you can run with that. If you go to summitforwellness.com slash sauna, you can see all the different products that Sauna Space has to offer, and they have their really expensive line, which is a Faraday completely EMF shielded one that we were talking about. Or you can start with a couple of their new Thermalite bulbs that they just released, and you can start to build kind of your own if that's the route that you want to go. I actually built my own um, before I got my own sauna space uh, sauna. Start with whatever you can, but make sure that you're doing this at least three days a week, ideally more than that, but three days a week is a really good starting point. And as you just listened to, there are so many different health benefits for it. Next week, we have Dr. Brad Lichtenstein from thebreathspace.com to come on and talk about a lot of different things. We will be talking about uh, breath work and breathing and how that can be helpful for your body. But we also go back into a lot of his uh, background working with HIV and AIDS populations and um a lot of the end-of-life care that he worked with while he was uh, doing a lot of research with meditation and different modalities to help people with their passing from this life. So it's a super interesting episode, and here is just a little bit of information from Brad. We are here with Dr. Brad Lichtenstein. And Dr. Brad, what is one unique thing about you that most people don't know? Well, I don't think this is really unique that most people don't know, but at, you know, besides meditation and mindfulness and breath work, 
my favorite thing is to have a great cup of Japanese tea. So someday I might quit all of this and open up a Japanese tea house. But I think most people <laughs> know that about me. But So with Japanese tea, is it uh, medicinal type of blends or what's the difference? No, with Japanese tea, I like the really high and gyokuro and matcha. Matcha is actually one of my favorite teas. In fact, every morning I, have a, I make a cup of matcha, a bowl of matcha, and I do meditation. So it's part of my whole ritual approach. Yes, we could talk about the medicinal benefits, but it's a meditation and just like the fine green Japanese teas give me such a sense of calm. Mm, that sounds real nice. Yeah, if you open that up, let me know. I'll be there every day. Okay, okay. What will you we be learning me? about in our interview together? Um, we'll be talking about really the benefit of being really present in our life. Um, that the that how we live is maybe even more important than what we're specifically doing. Uh, so we're going to talk about mindfulness, meditation, breath work, all, and even hospice care, end-of-life care, all about ways to help us be more present and involved and alive in this moment. And what are your favorite foods or nutrients that you think everyone should get more of in their diet? Ah, ooh. Well... I'm going to go back to my answer about tea. Um, I would say that my favorite um, is green tea. Um, but what do I think everyone should get more in their diet? Uh, vegetables. I just, I can't say that enough. Um, you know, it, it's interesting when you look at the world's diet and people in so many other cultures have such array of foods that they eat. And most Americans, maybe not people listening to your show, you know, eat the same vegetables, same things over and over and over again, you know, so I would just say, make your palate, make your plate as diverse as possible. And when you talk diverse, are you talking about vegetables that you might not necessarily find in grocery stores? Yeah, yes, yeah. It, it, that would be, I, I used to take my patients to the grocery store and I remember one patient from Minnesota looked at me and said, I didn't know there were this many types of lettuces. I thought they were all just iceberg lettuce. So um, he was fascinated by that. But I would say, yes, go to different Asian markets, go to different markets and see if you can find other vegetables as long as they're clean and safe and not have pesticides on them. And then what are your top three health tips for anyone who wants to improve their overall wellness? Well, first is going to be breathing and meditation and movement. And so we are going to talk about breathing and meditation, but movement means sitting is the new smoking. You probably have heard this. Every 20 minutes, get up and move around. I think that will prolong everyone's life and not just prolong it, but make it better. And then I missed this question earlier. Do you have a morning routine? And if so, what is it? Yes, I do. Um, the morning routine begins first by feeding the cats because I can't do anything if I don't feed the cats <laughs> because if they're not fed, then they'll leave, never leave me alone. The world will fall apart. It, it will. And it seems like it for them. They really act like it. The, the next part is I get up every morning and I do make a cup of matcha, a bowl of matcha. And then I sit down and I spend either... Uh, and 30 minutes to an hour, hour and a half uh, with meditation. So I do a different practice uh, every day. I, I, ha I do mindfulness meditation, but then I'll add some other breath work and meditation to it. And I often hook myself up to biofeedback sensors, so I monitor everything I'm doing as well. But that's, that's the given every, every day. So as you can see, it's going to be a super interesting episode. You can listen to that next time. Keep on climbing to the peak of your health, and we will see you next time.